This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We've had many episodes about different use cases across industries in the last three or four months, but it's been a while since we've touched on hardware. But more and more over the last four years, the hardware game has become more competitive, and thinking about where business efficiencies lie in hardware has become more and more relevant in the enterprise. Our guest this week is Arun Iyengar. He is the CEO of Untether AI, an AI hardware firm based in Toronto and the Bay Area. Arun studied engineering in undergrad and went on to get an MBA at Carnegie Mellon University. He has worked for large hardware players like AMD and other Bay Area firms. And in this episode, Arun and I cover three topics. First, we talk about efficiency and throughput for processing video data. Where does that hit the bottom line? How does that actually affect business outcomes? What are a few use cases of artificial intelligence at the edge? And we get some perspective from Arun as to where more efficient hardware might be able to unlock new capabilities. We talk about an Amazon Go type of an experience as well as other use cases. And lastly, we talk about what's keeping companies from having higher performance now for their hardware. As it turns out, it's not simply the chip. There are a lot of other components and Arun provides a multi-layered answer to the elements of data processing, hardware, and software that have to be improved for us to be able to see greater efficiencies and better business outcomes. And that future perspective was a very interesting part of this episode, so I hope you'll stick around for that. No matter what industry you're in, hardware is becoming more and more relevant. And that ending portion about being able to kind of paint the future as to what are the elements that need to be improved in the enterprise, that was a lot of new learning for me, and I think it will be for you as well, and I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, this is Arun with Untether.ai. This episode is brought to you by Untether.ai. If you'd like to learn more about how to reach Emerge's global executive audience, you can go to emerj.com slash ad1, uh, or you can learn more in the outro of this episode. I'll, I'll mention a little bit more about how to reach our audience there. So let's get started. This is Arun with Untether. So Arun, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Well, we're diving in on the topic of AI hardware today, and we're going to be talking about the increased ability to achieve intelligence at the edge and the role of inference therein. I know a lot of the folks tuned in have heard about AI hardware, certainly on this show, but they may not be familiar with how inference ties to that outcome. Can you kind of break that down in business terms? Sure. With AI, um, it's starting to become pervasive, right? It's available everywhere. And within AI, there is the machine learning aspect or deep neural networks for deep learning. And that's, that's really what's giving us the benefits of you know, the true in-depth activity related to AI. And what that's translating to is if you look at the AI uh, components of, of uh, semiconductor revenue, by 2025, you know, $63 billion of the AI spend will be for inference, while training makes up about $8 billion. So it's a pretty large nugget. And what people are looking to see is, you know, how uh, inference is going to be pervasive across pretty much any type of edge application. It could be the extreme edge all the way down to the end user, like your phone and my phone. Or it could be more at the, uh, you know, the infrastructure part of the edge, which could be, you know, a, a car. It could be, you know, servers. 
that do a variety of different tasks with respect to things like video analytics for a variety of different applications. So, so the types of use models are really broad and, and can go everywhere. There is uh, definitely a need. You know, the, when the world started with, with AI, it was, hey, let's put everything in the cloud. And the cloud's simple, it's easy, let's just tap into it and off we go. Actually, not a bad start. But when it comes to doing this in, in seriousness and when you want to deploy this across, you know, a thousand stores as an example or 10,000 stores or some other element, putting it on the cloud starts becoming a lot more problematic. And now you have to think about you know, how do you bring it to more on your premises where you can control your own uh, algorithms, your own networks, and then see the results with no latency, right? So there's a whole host of things that people have to think through that then impact the bottom line. Yeah, and obviously there's some applications that are critical to have no latency. We are gonna get into use cases, but we're talking about the broad topic of video processing today as kind of a category of use cases. Uh, and efficiency and throughput of processing are really key here when it comes to sort of per business performance. How do you tie efficiency and throughput to the bottom line for, for video processing type applications? And maybe you can start to hint at a few of these that are in the real world. You know, with with the activity related to how AI is um, is being deployed today, a lot of the work is first getting into monetizing the the you know the various elements of of video that you might have. So, for example, in a store, you might be using video for analyzing your theft patterns, which is the base level of monetization. But then you might start thinking about, hey, what if I added a few more cameras, and now I can start seeing patterns of people movement, and in doing so, I can figure out the placement of products so that I can increase the revenue per store, right? So now all of a sudden you're doing a completely different type of bottom line analysis. And, and then of course, all of that comes with a cost of, okay, I'm gonna have to either have a system that's powerful enough or use you know, a traditional GPU that's gonna cost me a ton of money and, and doesn't have the right scalability. And so all of that then fits into what you would be considering in your bottom line. The bottom line aspect that most of these, um, you know, stores or, or the like, smart city, smart retail, right, whatever the case may be, would be thinking about would be related to how many, for a given dollar, how many frames per second can I process? For a given watt, how many frames per second can I actually get through? For a given watt per dollar, what is my, you know, overall throughput look like? And, and those are all the bottom line aspect, but you got to look at it from both the top line and the bottom line. And what's in the top line? The top line is what can I monetize out of this, right? It's not about cost savings, which is great. That's important. But what services can I open up? What services will, you know, will I now be able to bring as additive streams that enable me to, you know, if it's in a store or if it's in a, a city concept, you know, uh, enable me to have a much better experience for my user who then will end up spending more and then improve my top line, which also then translate to my bottom line, right? So, so there's two different elements to it. And what we do uh, from, you know, the, the approach we've taken 
we absolutely impact both of those, right? If, if there is a customer or a entity that says, I just care about my bottom line, guess what? You can do better than the types of products that we have to offer. And, you know, we can help them achieve the bottom line components that they like. Uh, but if they say, look, you know what? I, I also want to come up with additional monetization aspects. And for that, I need higher throughput because that will enable me then to go in and tell the store that they can, you know, have a better traffic pattern analyzer or, you know, a pricing analyzer, right? Anything that's real time. I could do yeah. a lot more that comes from a top line improvement. And, and, you know, that's another place where we absolutely can help customers as well. And now let's talk a little bit about some of those in applications. And maybe we can talk about one of each, maybe top line slash bottom line. You hinted at a few, you know, opening up new products, serving customers in new ways. In some cases, we're just looking for what can we do with a watt? What can we do with a dollar? And being able to put that in measurable terms is, is clearly important for sort of our bottom line there. Um, what are some representative use cases that for you guys will make this tangible for folks for, uh, for both of those? Yeah, so we talked, um, you know, the, the one use case that's pretty big uh, is video analytics. Video analytics is a class of applications that can be used across a variety of different real use cases, right? And, and you know, as people start thinking about um, inference and deployment of inference, it can be as big as in a city type application where yep. it's a completely smart city, right? The concept of smart city is been talked about for a while, uh, it's starting to become real because we can enable that today. Uh, and then also, then you can bring it down into a retail, right? So you know, there's a lot of cash, cashierless checkout, right? That's that's becoming more than yes, normal. Yes. Uh, and so they become examples of, you know, smart retail. And what happens in video analytics is really there is multiple simultaneous streams of uh, video content that's coming in. And you have to do real-time deep learning across all of these simultaneous streams. And, and you got to do it at the same time so you can actually establish what you're trying to uh, you know, come up with, whether it's pricing or pattern or, or even just a checkout, right? If you, if you say, look, it's completely cashless and you got a whole host of cameras that are just tracking what the user is putting into their shopping cart, well, before the user comes to the, to the checkout line, you know, you got to have all that tallied up and, you know, it's coming across with multiple cameras that are deployed within the store as an example. And so that becomes very expensive if you were to do that with existing hardware. And, um, you know, typically today, most people would say, hey, you know what, let's just buy a GPU. Well, that's all great. But, you know, a couple of things have happened, right? The world has changed into a semiconductor shortage. And so getting a GPU is, is a good luck. Yeah, yeah that, there is that to, to reckon with. That's right. Absolutely. Right. And then, and then after you have that, then how do you actually use that for inference, which, you know, a GPU is good for training, but it's really horribly designed for inference. Why? Because it's a power hungry beast, right? And it's, it's just sucking up a lot of your power. We're now all of a sudden as a store, instead of just having your server that's sitting in a corner, you got to start thinking about, oh, if I'm doing that level of processing, I now need a air-cooled environment. I need to have something that's much more specialized for managing my server. You know, and that becomes a lot more complicated. And, and so that becomes a huge problem that we have 
you know, customers looking at going, okay, do I really want to deploy this and take on the headache? And, and that means they end up not really uh, getting the value of the top line and the bottom line that goes with it. And what we've done is, you know, we've got the Tsunami card, uh, which is our PCI Express-based card, which fits into any server. You could just take it, plug it into any server, and it's ready to go. And, and because it's uh, set up in a way that enables us to bring in all of these streams and process them all at once, then we, we have the uh, ability to enable the smart uh, retail uh, customer to have a performance per dollar that's better than anybody else, but also improve their top line as well. Right, so the the key components that they end up with are, you know, they can improve the top line with a variety of new uh, additive uh, components because, you know, a, a GPU based approach could probably do, a, you know, some single digit frames per second of uh, video processing, whereas with our card we could do, you know, 20, 30, 60 frames per second of processing, which now gives you real time versus that jagged view. You, you know, yeah, when you do a yeah. few frames per second, you get the jagged view and you get a yep, lag. Yeah. And you're like, okay, what happened between the two lags? Uh, did the customer actually do something or did they, you know, walk away, right? So so that's the problem that, you know, um, most of these guys face with and, and that, you know, we can solve pretty easily with, with how we process the uh, information through our Tsunami. Yeah. Express card. Well, I, I can't get too much into anybody's individual product here, but in terms of um, you know the use cases that this stuff can can enable, clearly, I mean, this uh, uh, efficiency and throughput focus on video processing is quite big for you guys in terms of the product you've developed. I do want to be able to highlight, you know, you're using retail as a jump off point, so I'd like to kind of volley off of this uh, with you, if you will. When I think about retail, and again, I'm trying to make it tangible in the mind of our listener, so many things come to mind. You know, you mentioned. Uh, cashierless checkout. I was just in London and uh, went to one of those little Amazon stores out there in a similar experience, kind of a wild experience there. You could, you know, it, it seems somewhat self-evident that if you're taking an image every second or something like that, you're not really going to be able to determine how many of an item somebody picked up. So when we talk about top line in a retail environment, the things that leap to my mind, but I really would love your input on this because you're much closer to it than me, are uh, maybe we can, well, uh, we can accurately allow people to self-checkout uh, and, and enable that top-line benefit of people wanting a new novel experience or a more convenient experience, maybe that'll attract more revenue. Uh, maybe we can leverage data from what people are doing in our stores to be able to do better product placement in some way that helps us lift our revenue so those feel like upsides. And then on the efficiency side, what you're mentioning here is that if we can do more processing per dollar, um, then we can even just save on the, on the compute itself. This is kind of how I'm trying to make tangible this upside uh, slash saving money on the bottom line side of things. Is there anything you want to add to that when we think about, again, retail is one of many cases, but when we think about retail, anything you want to layer onto that? You know, that's, that's a great, uh, you know, a, a summary, right? If you look at the top line, what, what are the things you want to do for your customer? Uh, there are really only two things when you break, break it down. If you process your customer faster, you can process more customers. Or if you get your customer to buy more, then you can get more, right? So either way, one of, both of those really drive up your same store sales, which is a big metric, right? As you know, yeah. for retail. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's the part where we can really help them a lot, right? Which is 
the speed of checkout because we're our throughput is so much higher than anybody else's. It's it's almost real time, right? No, not even almost. It is real time that we can just you know they just put it in, and if you've got, and I'm sure in your Amazon example, uh, at some point you you could even have your uh, details, right, credit card details and the like, stored on your phone, and you're walking out, and, and you don't even stop, right? It just it just it, you know charges you right as you yep, think about exactly this exactly time yeah um, and and so that's that's the efficiency aspect and then the the other aspect is if you've if you can do as we talked about earlier you know path placement of specific products then you can actually end up having people buy more when the same domain whether you know in the same trip that they're coming in so you, if you can do both of those, you know that's that's really amazing, right? You can improve your top line amazingly well, and of course, as you pointed out, the bottom line also gets a boost because of our efficiencies that come in. So that's a uh, that's a trifecta of value. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that was an, an accurate maybe way of thinking about where does value sort of come in here, and and hardware is complicated stuff, but being able to make it simple for for business. Uh, folks is uh, the name of the game here. So that's what I'm trying to do. You mentioned kind of smart cities in terms of another domain of vision processing where this stuff can really start to hit the bottom line. Is that one you want to kind of pick or is there another space we want to dive into for kind of a, a, a use case space number two? You know, the one that everybody's talking about, uh, well, smart city is a good one. Let's actually talk about a slightly different one, which is the autonomous vehicles. Cool. It's, it's always exactly cool, right? always cool to talk about self-driving cars uh, and the thing with self-driving cars is you know there really isn't any today right if <laughs> yeah. you yeah if you, if you look at all the claims that are out there um, in the autonomous vehicle domain right there are five levels and level four and level five they're they're very uh, intuitively called level one to level five uh, level four and level five are the true autonomous vehicle domain level one and level two are you know the things that give you the early warning detector the braking system you know those types of things and level three is kind of in between the two right so you could you could say that level three and below is advanced driver assistance systems or ADAS systems and level four and five truly become your autonomous vehicle systems the uh, to drive autonomous vehicles to the breadth of usage, uh, you know the the uh, thought process is that you really need to have ten thousand a minimum of ten thousand trillion operations per second to start thinking about level four autonomy. Good gracious! I think think about that number, right? Ten thousand yeah. trillion operations. Uh, so that becomes a big, big component, and it's a very complex model because you have, you know, a variety of different things that are happening. Your network needs to be, you know, be able to distinguish between a, uh, a piece of, you know, like a plastic bag flying through when you're driving versus a human being walking with a backpack, right? You want to be able to separate the two. With a with a plastic bag, you'll drive through. With a with a person with a backpack, you don't want to do that same. So, so being able to understand what's going on, uh, looking at very large data input sizes, right? All of this happening at very low latency and, and a, a power budget, as I told you about, because you need that level of throughput of 10,000 tops, uh, trillion operations per second. The, there is not uh, an architecture today or a hardware today from anybody that's capable of doing that. So what 
car manufacturers end up doing is they, you know, you, you get some of the GPU vendors touting the, hey, supercomputer in your trunk, right? Yep. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but if you open up the trunk, it's liquid cooling. That's not a real car. You can't yeah, drive yeah, a server to, like that. Tough to throw the stroller back there when, uh, when it's full of uh, liquid cooling stuff. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, and so this is where we really can help. Uh, and we've had quite a few customer conversations. In fact, we just did a uh, release with one customer, a major customer. You can look it up online. And, and the way that, you know, we, the architecture we use, it's called Act Memory Computing. And that really is a best in breed and best in class combined, where it says, I can do the lowest latency possible and you don't have to compromise on throughput, which, which is a really powerful thing to say. You know, I can get you the lowest latency and no compromise on throughput, all delivered at a very low power, right? And so that makes it a, a completely different uh, paradigm, right, for, for the people that want to do uh, autonomous vehicles. As I told you, the 10 uh, petaops or 10,000 yeah. uh, 10, yeah. pops, you know, you need uh, today, if you were to do that, you'd need anywhere from uh, 15 to 25 GPU cards in your trunk to make that happen. We could do that with five. Yeah, well, I, right. and um, so I, I, I certainly can't speak to the numbers myself, but uh, I can I can respect a claim on your guys' end. And it sounds like in terms of the battle for AI hardware, um, from what you're, you're gathering here, and it seems logical, uh, there's going to be a lot of pushing up against the GPU GPU first approach because of the constraints of the vehicle. If I'm hearing you correctly, that's right. That's yeah. right. And the constraints of the vehicle and and the uh, complexity of the data that's coming in, right? Yeah. So constraints yeah, yeah. of the vehicle tell you, okay, here's how much power I can use. Complexity of the data com coming in tells you, okay, here's how much I need to process. Yeah. Um, and. As you had mentioned, you're, the best way to possibly open it was uh, the thing about autonomous vehicles is there aren't any. It's very, very funny going back, Arun, uh, five years ago or so when we were looking at the claims of Toyota and Tesla and all the other major automakers as to when we would reach even level four autonomy, never le never mind level five. And it's quite clear that we're not there. And obviously, uh, the issue you're talking about right here is one of those barriers. So I guess this brings us towards our last question around what's preventing us from achieving this performance now of course everybody that does something other than gpus you know uh, uh you know well gpus are the bad guy okay we get it uh but if we, if we talk you know and, and it maybe not necessarily a product-centric perspective here around the various and sundry things that are preventing these technologies from being more prevalent these technologies that are so powerful that we're talking about technologies that could enable autonomous cars could enable checkout list retail could really transform entire industries there's a variety of factors. Certainly, yes, maybe GPUs aren't a great fit for all of them. But when you think about the other things, business people need to grasp about why this stuff isn't here yet um, to, to be able to have enough efficiency to hit these top line uh, in uh, the, these top line benefits, bottom line benefits. What are some of those things that non-technical folks should understand about what we need to overcome to make these use cases come to life? Yeah, no, that's a great question, right? So, you know, we're a, we're a really deep tech, high tech company. 
So we're mired into the third level detail of, of oh, yeah. uh, the complexities of what people <laughs> are trying to deal with. And, and it's important to step back and say, okay, what are the other components, right? Yes, I understand the technical aspect of what needs to be solved. The, the other components really, let's, let's take autonomous vehicles as an example. And that's a good one because it, it has had a lot of promise and, and it continues to have a lot of promise. The first and foremost thing that we got, we got to get through in the autonomous vehicle side is the safety elements of, you know, basically if you don't have a driver, then what happens if things change, right? If circumstances change, yeah. if, if the environment changes, if, if the age of the vehicle comes through, right? Anything, how does it deal with change? That's a big, big component. Now you can regulate your way, which is absolutely a, uh, you know, a reasonable thing to think through, but it's it, it comes with its own set of problems because you know regulation means somebody understands it really well. Nobody yep. understands it that well to regulate it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and tell you that you shall do this and you shall not do this. Apart from hey, you shall not run over people. Great, that's a very good thing to regulate, right? <laughs> so, so uh, what we need to be thinking about, uh, and business people are thinking about, is who owns the network. And this is something the car guys are mm. grappling with because you know, the traditional sense for car manufacturers is they, they tend to rely on the tier ones to do all the work for them. And in the olden days, the car guys said, hey, we own the car. We know what needs to happen. But the subcomponents, tier ones, why don't you go work with somebody else and get it fixed? AI is changing that because if you, as a car manufacturer, if you give away the keys to your kingdom, which is your network, to your tier ones, then how are you going to compete? That's a big change in the model. And, and Tesla mm. came in and started off with the first approach where you know they've got billions of driven miles as part of their network today. And, and all the other car manufacturers are looking at, them, looking at them going, oh my God, that's what we got to be doing. Huh. So you right. think that they're kind of trend setting this who owns the network conversation on some level in terms of uh, do you see this borderline inevitable that everybody is going to take that tack or are there other options that might emerge in the auto space? Well, so, so a lot of people, um, and, you know, we don't want to be talking about other companies, but, but there are companies that go out there and say, you know what, Mr. Customer, we take care of all that problem for you. We know what, what needs to happen. Trust us, Mr. Car Manufacturer. We know what, you know, what uh, driving conditions are like and we'll deal with it. I think the car manufacturers that tend to go down that path will end up being second tier players. The, the, the first tier players will own their own networks. No doubt about that. Uh, so AI is competitive advantage. Well, I guess another element of sort of um, uh, top line benefit in some way, if we can actually have a strategic advantage there, it, it sort of reminds me on some level, uh, Arun, that there's sort of the build versus buy discussion on occasion around artificial intelligence, you know, what are the things we want to just sort of provide to somebody who can uh, hand it back to us and just kind of have it as a service? And what are the things where we actually want to have our hands on the Lego blocks, build it ourselves, have more control over it? For you, the network is one of those things. In other words, smart companies or automotive firms will not put it in someone else's hands. They will keep it in their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. 
So that's that's one. The second part then becomes, uh, and, and you've got two different types of automakers. One of them says, hey, you know what? My centralized ECU is where all my, my uh, you know, intelligence resides and all the other sensors are just dumb sensors, right? Such as your camera sensors, your radar, LIDAR sensors, all of those are just collecting data and my centralized uh, ECU is going to make all the decisions for it. And then there's the, that's the traditional breed of auto manufacturers. And then the new breed guys say, you know what? I think all the processing really needs to happen when you capture the data. So if I'm bringing in a camera, I need to do a lot of analytics before I send it to the ECU. And, and I think the reality will be something that's a merge of the two where, mm. where it will be, you know, do some amount of pre-processing at the sensor node. So you're not really driving the ECU with all the heavy duty lifting that's required and then get the ECU really to be then doing the, the you know, pull it all together and provide a response back type of thing. And, and that's a big change as well that, that some of the smart automakers are already thinking through. Yeah. So if I'm trying, if I can try to nutshell this, so obviously the auto space is um, very, very important space for this video processing domain. It's a space you guys are following quite closely. And when we think about these business considerations of what's it going to look like to get to value, I've got a couple things jotted down. One is you mentioned regulation, some of the barriers around that, the fact that it's really hard to regulate what we don't yet understand. So there's sort of some hurdles around figuring those things out. But there's also the who owns the network problem, uh, basically automakers needing to consider artificial intelligence as a strategic capability that they keep close to their vest. And then number three, it sounds like the strategy and structure of how we process data potentially has to level up to come up with a better norm that maybe has the best of both worlds that you've just articulated here in order to ever get to the level of autonomy that we want to achieve. Let me know if you'd add anything to that. I'm trying to come up with the most salient points for our listeners here, but I want to make sure I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, and, and that's good. You, you know, that's a hierarchy approach. Very top level is, is regulation. Second level is owning the network. Third level is the architecture itself. And then the fourth level is, okay, how can you actually then you know, well, make it real, right? With with the right hardware that you can then pick from from you know the world outside, right? So that's yep. those are the four levels that we're dealing with and thinking through as we come up with. Obviously, we're at the fourth level. Yeah, um, what our offering needs to look like. Yeah, but you have perspective on all the rest of them, and that's one of the reasons that we have folks like yourselves on the program to be able to share uh, what people need to know about this space. We've we've covered some excellent use cases and now gotten down to what I was hoping we'd have time for, which is basically what business people need to know about how to make decisions about this space and where it's headed into the future. Arun, I know that's all we have for time on this episode, but thank you so much for being able to join us on the program. Thank you very much. So that is all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and a big thank you for Arun for being able to share his expertise on the episode. As I mentioned before, this episode was brought to you by Untether.ai. If you are an AI hardware or software firm and you'd like to reach over 100,000 business listeners on the AI and Business Podcast, and if you're interested in demand generation or thought leadership for an AI-related product or service, you can reach us at emerj.com slash ad1. That's ad like advertise and then the number one, emerj.com slash ad1. 
AD1. And again, you can learn more about what we do here at Emerge Media. From sponsored podcasts to custom research to webinars and more, there's a lot to learn and you can check it out again, emrj.com slash AD1. That's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI in Business podcast.